42 weeks into theological college, I'm constantly being asked, what have you learnt so far? And having thought long and hard about it, I can sum it up in two words. Google it, or in college terms, Moodle it. I am a member of the Caleb stream. Remember Caleb? He is said to have lived to be 131 years old. The Caleb stream is a year of study aimed especially at older students seeking ordination. Most of my fellow stream students are in their 50s and 60s and only two of us are in our 70s. As we wield our notebooks and pencils, we watch in awe as the other 250 students in the other streams, mostly in their 20s, tap away at their laptops through lectures and talk glibly about the dozens of online pages we must learn to access. All of college life is online. Timetables, lectures, handouts, weekly reading, the library, lecture feed and reflection, etc, etc. We, Caleb, struggle to find our way around the system and IT sessions are more lessons in anger management than technology. Last Wednesday evening, Reverend Emily and I attended the Donald Barnes Memorial Lecture given by Dr Paula Gooder, Canon Chancellor of St Paul's Cathedral, on the subject, Reading the Bible with Imagination. We were both mesmerised by her scholarly teaching and what were the two words she left us with to help fire our imagination for the wonderful New Testament stories? Google it. She took as one example the story of Jesus stilling the storm. Google a first century fishing boat and you instantly have a picture of the kind of boat Jesus was sleeping in. With 12 others at least in the boat, there is only one place a person could possibly lie down to sleep, and so you set the picture. Google the Sea of Galilee, and straight away you set the scene and can see the water and the surrounding landscape. The evening was a revelation, and I look forward to using this method when reading the Bible in the days and years to come. And so to our reading today, a difficult scenario which at first reading appears to be very harsh. So what did Google reveal? Firstly, that a talent is 20 years of a day labourer's wages, an enormous amount of money translated as millions in the New English Bible. Clearly a debt accumulated by someone with a superior position in the household. A denarius, on the other hand, is the usual daily wage. A modest amount, but extremely valuable if you are a lowly slave. Secondly, Google revealed that only slaves with more elevated positions in the household had their own housing, whereas lowly slaves rarely had their own housing, but usually slept on pallets in a far corner of the slave owner's house. The lowly slave's family would live largely on the streets during the daytime, but were allowed to cook close to their master's house, indicating that imprisonment meant certain homelessness and starvation for the larger family. We now have a clearer picture of the status and earning capabilities of a slave and the implications of imprisonment. Thank you, Google, for setting the scene.
Peter asks, should I forgive seven times? He probably thought he was being clever and generous, as seven was thought to be the perfect number. But the answer he received was 77 times. An impossible number of times to count and record, therefore implying as many times as necessary. An unlimited number of times. The large debt clearly represents the one we accumulate through day-by-day -day thoughtlessness, which negates our call to love one another. These transgressions are forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But we are also called to remember God's mercy to us and to emulate this mercy in our dealings with others. Forgiving from the heart if we are to be receivers of divine mercy. We pray this daily in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. One dictionary definition of forgiveness is an intentional decision to let go of resentment and anger, which is not part of the ending of this parable, but surely points us in the direction of true loving forgiveness, which can lead to redemption. This can be illustrated in the practice of restorative justice, where the perpetrator acknowledges the transgression and with forgiveness offered, in the spirit of setting anger and resentment aside, is able to start building a more fruitful and productive life. The definition of forgiveness given by the Mayo Clinic Mental Health Unit is letting go of grudges and bitterness. Anger, resentment, grudges and bitterness were very much part of the narrative of the Old Testament with which the disciples would have been familiar, but play no part in the love that Jesus gave us, nor the love he expects us to offer each other. These emotions can be very hard to set aside, as I am sure victims of crime and victims of social media abuse will attest. But we are entreated to strive for this perfection, as in all things, with the help of a loving God who travels with us and who is eager to point out to us examples of selfless love and forgiveness which are there to teach us if we care to look. Finally, please don't forget the bystanders. The other servants were deeply distressed when they saw what had happened. We all, each one of us, have a responsibility to be alert to injustice and have a part to play in the process of forgiveness. As we look to Monday and the start of another week, let us keep the lesson of generous forgiveness in our hearts and apply it with imagination to all our dealings with God's world. In Christ's name, Amen.